we are developing the first responder network in FirstNet. We won a major contract with the FirstNet Authority. We deployed a separate and private mobility core dedicated for public safety and our first responders. And this is an emotional one really for me and the team. It is mission-based and we are driving differentiation, trying to make them safer, try to give them the tools they need to communicate better uh, with their own dedicated network. Hi, and welcome to another episode in Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and today I have the privilege of having a guest with me in the studio, Robert Boyanovsky from AT&T. Hi, Robert. How are you? Des, I'm doing wonderful. It's good to hear your voice again. How are you? I'm doing great. Yes, indeed. Well, we should explain to our listeners that we caught up a couple of weeks ago at the uh, 2018 AT&T Business Summit in Dallas-Fort Worth, which we'll dive into in a bit more. Um, but it was great to uh, catch up with you there and uh, meet you in person finally. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for making time to catch up with me today. Right back at you, for sure. You're a legend. Um, now, uh, let's just quickly introduce your role and, and, and who you are. You're the Vice President of Enterprise Mobility at AT&T, and that's a pretty heady role, and I'd like to dive into that uh, and get to know a little bit about what that role's like and what a day in the life of uh, Robert Boyanovsky is like in that role. But before we do that, I hope you don't mind, but um, maybe if I can get you to do a little bit of an intro and kind of your background, where, you, where you're from originally, where you grew up, maybe a bit of uh, high, some of the highlights of your academic career path uh, and... and any highlights you can sort of share around how you came to this role in the first place, uh, just to get a bit of background on yourself personally? Yeah, that'd be great. So um, I was born in Idaho in the U.S. of A. Have you ever been there, Des? I've been really close, but I mean, dying, <laughs> I've been dying to, so it's on my bucket list. Yeah, it's a small, small little place, um, but kind of grew up with Midwestern, uh, you know, culture and, and attitude, which is, you know, for us just... Uh, you know, it's small town, rural farming, um, you know, you talk straight and follow through. So that's a little bit about my, my upbringing, but what was really cool for me, uh, my dad traveled a lot, um, in his business and, uh, he got an opportunity to move to Australia. I shared that yeah. story with you at the summit. That was cool. You know, my dad came back from work one day and he said, okay, family meeting, we are either moving to Wisconsin which is awfully cold in a lovely state by uh, by many measurements, or Sydney, Australia. And I was going to be in the ninth grade, and I said, let's go. So for three <laughs> years, that was, it seemed like an easy choice, right? Yeah, it's a no-brainer. So, yeah, no-brainer. Well, he got me in the end. You know, I finished my uh, 12th grade, my senior year of high school, back in Wisconsin. So he got me in the end. But for three years, we enjoyed Sydney, Australia, the people, the culture, um, met some really great friends, uh, to this day, we still keep in touch and, uh, look forward to getting back. Um, so from there I did, uh, go to school at a smaller D3 school in Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, Whitewater, and, uh, got a undergrad in marketing. And I like to pinpoint that here at AT&T, I walk around with a lot of engineers. Okay. And, uh, being in the marketing, uh, organization, product marketing, um, there aren't as many as you would think in uh, coming up from a marketing sense, and I take pride in that. Um, it's something that I always wanted, uh, you know, to grow into. Knowing what the customers want, like chapter one in marketing, is figuring that out and then giving them products and services that they need. So, um, 
later on uh, in my career, I ended up going back to school, um, getting my MBA with an emphasis in telecom here in Dallas. So the tech stuff of my career and upbringing was really on the job learning and then uh, the follow-up in my MBA. I've been with the company quite a bit, um, over 20 years, coming on 24 years. Spent a lot of time in various groups. What's great about our company um, is you have the ability to bounce around various technology groups or customer segments, um, and I took advantage of that. I started in small-town Illinois with a company called Cellular One. Uh, that brand doesn't exist anymore here. And then uh, moved to the telco, did some product management there, uh, was a part of a startup team when we launched IPTV. All right, that was really neat and cool for us. The chairman at the time was Ed Whitaker, and he said, we're putting a multi-billion dollar bet down on something that's never been done before, right? TV wow. over copper. And we, wow. yeah, we all said, okay, <laughs> Ed, let's do it. Roll those and, dice. Yeah, so we jumped to, jumped into that head first, had, uh, you know, some terrific um, experiences in that. And uh, at the time, um, you know, I knew I wanted to get back to wireless, more wireless experience. So I did. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where our headquarters was at and wireless got a little bit more wireless experience. All this was really in consumer. And in the last five years, I, I moved back to Dallas and uh, became, you know, a product marketing SME in the business organization. And it was a long shot, really. You know, here's here's a manager with a company who's got a decent track record of consumer product management and driving revenues and um, customer experiences. Um, but I didn't know anything about business, Des. It was really fish out of water. Um, but I knew, you know, product. I knew customer focus uh, would always kind of win in the end. Um, and they, uh, you know, the organization at the time, um, you know, took a leap of faith that I'd work out. And so uh, for the last five years, I've I've been in the organization here in business. And we're having really good success, have a great team, and are really excited about what's coming you know 5g is is right around the corner and uh at at&t we're leading on that so i'm anxious to talk to you a little bit more about that absolutely well the thing that strikes me with all of that is that um you know just listening to that amazing background i mean it, it seems to me like the, the the perfect storm pedigree of all the relevant constituent elements that get you to the position where you can understand what any form of business wants not just big business because I, th- I think they're common themes it's just that they scale up when you get to a bigger company um so i, I think that, i think the angle that you've come from sort of understanding marketing through to the engineering is probably one of the the more i guess uh uh balanced mixes i've seen because i think there's a challenge going the other direction <laughs> getting oh, an, yeah. you know tr- trying to take someone from an engineering background and understand sales and marketing is, is a, yeah and it's definitely a, a balance um i've had some PL responsibility in the past taking uh you know, negative, you know, products into positive products. Those are very rewarding um, where you've got operational experience and product, right? You own the whole thing end to end. And those opportunities are um, are really good. I, I feel like I can take those learnings forward. And so when we're in the middle of capital deployment, right, right now we're planning out 19 and beyond for how much capital we're going to put forward to build stuff. And uh, you really have to scrutinize um, every dollar, right? Yeah. We, um, and if you don't have a good eye for will a customer buy it at what price, um, you can burn a lot of capital um, quite easily. 
especially at a company with our scale. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm keen to get it. I mean, one of the things that struck me when we when we spoke in um, Dallas at the AT and T uh, Business Summit earlier, a matter of weeks ago, was that your schedule is just crazy. And and I, I was just, I mean, I literally take my hat off to how you managed to juggle it all. Uh, what does an average day in the life of the VP of Enterprise and Mobility at T look like? I mean, how, how do you juggle that blend of kind of that forward-looking component you were just talking about and projecting sort of two to three years out <clears throat> down to the P&L and budget level, as well as the operational component? And, you know, and that's beyond the work-life balance. But it, it must be an interesting challenge to sort of deal with the amount of road time you have and, and the operational piece versus the, the forward-looking piece. Daz, the, the trick is to live close to the office. <laughs> when uh, when uh, my wife and family moved to Atlanta, we lived one and a half miles from our office in Buckhead. And it's a beautiful office that the neighborhood uh, in Buckhead, Georgia, in Atlanta is, is absolutely beautiful. But it just eliminated the commute. So after a day, you can spend time with your family um, have a meal at the table, ask what's going on at school, you know, just try to keep that work-life balance. Um, for me, um, our business is very much about, uh, you know, driving market share gains and growth in the segments we serve. And uh, the, the typical morning, um, you know, I don't know if this is a, a curse of the business or uh, or not, but the the sales reporting data and the analytics in in my space are available every single day. So I wake up to a report that says how I did yesterday, just in volumes, right? How many customers are buying or leaving from where, and uh, we cut it, you know, ten ways to Sunday to have kind of a report go out that says this is what's happening, things are tracking or not, and from there you can have a good day. Right or or a poor day, depending on how you're doing. But most of our days have been good the last uh, probably six uh, six or seven quarters here, um, which is uh, always a good place to be in. But it is a balance, right? Because you've got product pricing, promotional work, and I really consider that a fast twitch muscle. You've got to understand what's happening to you, you know, fairly quickly and make changes fairly quickly and roll them out into your various distribution channels. Um, it's hyper competitive here. Uh, as you know, um, you know, the race for the mobile voice subscriber, um, is highly contested here with, uh, you know, the likes of, uh, our competitors. So we are, um, always focused on, you know, how do we drive and continue to, to differentiate and take share? But that's the volume side of the business. Um, the build side, so product development, product management, you know, that's exciting. And that's a different, um, you know, personality type as well. Um, what's, you know, really cool about what's going on within at and in our organization right now is we are uh, developing the first responder uh, network in FirstNet, right? We won a major contract with the FirstNet Authority. We deployed a separate and private mobility core dedicated for public safety and our first responders. And this is an emotional one, really, for me um, and the team. It is mission-based. Um, you know, we are driving differentiation, trying to make them, you know, safer. Try to give them the tools they need to communicate better. Uh, with their own dedicated network. So that's one of these 
once in a career moments, like yeah. the Uber's career moment was, was when you look back, like that was something special. Uh, first net and deploying the first net network in the U S with public safety is another one of those moments where you can be really proud to be a part of it. Um, and then, you know, I wouldn't say this is long range planning does, but, you know, building out the next, uh, set of tech enablers for 5g, um, you know, there's another team in our organization that is working towards that. So it's, uh, it's super busy. I'll, uh, I will tell you that, but, um, I wouldn't trade it out for the world. No, well, the, the first insight, living close to work, I think is brilliant. I can concur with that. I, I live about five, <laughs> five or ten minutes away from the city and, and you know, between my home office and, and being out on site with clients, I love the fact that I can be home in eight and ten minutes and, as you said, be there having dinner with the kids. Um, but I nice. think just, you know, just the depth and breadth of what you just outlined there with regard to kind of what a day in your life looks like um, is both exciting and exhausting. Um, but, no, it's definitely gives us a good sense of kind of you know, wh- how you tackle this whole thing because it, it – to me, when I look at what you do, it's it's quite a heady challenge. Now, I want to dive into some of the, the really exciting things that are coming out, like 5G and so forth. But before we do that, uh, as I mentioned before to listeners, we caught up uh, a few weeks ago at the AT&T Business Summit for 2018. Uh, and, I mean, there's, we could have a whole show on that. But there are a couple of things I really wanted to just quickly get some insights from you on. That is, I mean, uh, particularly your biggest takeaways. I mean, I think there was, like, from memory, six key themes around your first net, as you just mentioned, and then the... I guess, you know, smart cities, smart manufacturing, the whole smart finance component, and then health uh, and so forth. Um, one of the things I was really keen on is like, you know, from your point of view, from, from your role within enterprise mobility, what, what were some of the biggest takeaways from this year and, and some of the biggest trends that you saw coming out of it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I really liked uh, Tony Blair, by the way. Um, okay. You know, personally, I think as a, as a, politician, uh, having his perspective of what's going on in our politics, as well as global politics and Brexit um, in the UK, it's it was really interesting to get his perspective and uh, some of the work he's doing globally um, because he's got passion. He really came across, um, you know, strong, um, his leadership, his commitment to, you know, mankind, really. Um, really, he, he over-impressed, uh, okay. me, right. When I was thinking about what he had to talk about, um, as far, as far as the kind of the tech side of things, the, the edge, right. The edge is this fuzzy nebulous thing that's being redefined by just about everybody, you know, edge to edge technology. Where is this edge? And in my space, um, I've got my own edge, the mobile yeah. edge, right? Yeah. And uh, I see this this blurring of of what customers want and what they can't get today um, coming into this this mobile edge. And you know whether it's in the standards that are, have been developed or uh, the customer interest, I do see this private network or hybrid private network where edge compute, multi-axis edge computer mech is uh, gaining momentum. And uh, in simplest terms, the way I explain it is customers want their own data. They want to have their data peeled off the network and put in their data center. They want to keep it private um, and they want to manage it the way they want to manage it. 
at the at the simplest, most basic um, perspective. And then from there, you get into all the really cool use cases, right? And there, there's many of those as uh, as there are words in the English dictionary, I think. But um, that's what I think was the biggest uh, takeaway for me. Probably in Summit, um, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say the you know last year's Mobile World Congress, but there's been this catalyst probably in the last uh, two to three quarters where large enterprises are coming forward um, talking to us about you know private LTE or hybrid LTE networks and how do they get control of their data to do interesting and cool things for their business. So that's probably the single biggest takeaway um, that I got out of it. Oh, I like that. I uh, I had a surprising epiphany myself. I came away from it. And I was on the flight home. It's like some seventeen hour haul from uh, Dallas Fort Worth across to Sydney, and the thing that struck me was there was an amazing array of big names keynoting, and you had some unbelievable people there from you know, Tony Blair, as you mentioned, to Queen Latifah. But the thing that really surprised me when I walked away was that my true heroes were the folk on your team who are in construction, engineering, deployment, <laughs> every day just delivering. You know, like it's one thing to have these big name brands like the Tony Blairs on the stage. And, you know, they do have some amazing insights on what they want to do with humanity. But it really struck me that there's a bunch of superhuman sort of just unbelievable superheroes working inside that team who are just busy getting on with it. And um I kind of felt like I needed to put a cape on a couple of them because they were just such unsung heroes. Oh yeah. But anyway, there's a whole there's yeah, a whole hats blog off to those guys. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I plan to do yeah. a blog on that whole topic actually because I I was well, really I was so struck by some of them that were just easygoing, quiet spoken characters. I had the pleasure of having them on camera most of the time, and uh, for most of them, and I'd walk away thinking, oh, that lady was the head of construction and engineering for five G for AT and T. Wow, <laughs> where's her cape? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, we, um, well, I appreciate that, and uh, I will give um, Rachel your compliments. Um, yes. Yeah, she was fantastic. You know, going, heading into that event, and so this is a major uh, venue. The, the size of the Hotel Convention Center was quite large. And um, heading into the event, you know, being in marketing, we come up with a lot of crazy ideas brainstorming. And uh, one of them was, hey, let's bring in real 5G uh, into the convention center and um, – you know, and put it on display. Yeah. And so that gets into, you know, the construction and engineering teams going, well, Robert, you know, do you have fiber where you need it? No, we don't have fiber there, but wouldn't it be cool if, right? And, you know, well, oh my God. Do you, do you have the radios? Do you have the spectrum? Do you yeah. have all that stuff? So yeah, we, um, you know, we push uh, each other to, you know, for the venue and for the customers to put something on display and you're right. It's a really neat uh, venue. It was. And, and, you know, like at, at the risk of sounding sycophantic, I was like polling people every day over the sort of the whole week. And uh, the wow factor was just off. The, it was like spinal tap for some people. They were just amazed by what they saw. Now, you, you know, you're talking about edge to edge, which we'll come back to in a minute. But 5G is, is a consistent component around this. Um, I mean, it's a massive topic. I mean, you know, is as, as well as late as mid-July, I think it was this year, 2018, 3GPP, the standards body, uh, released, uh, or they published, what do we call it, release 15, I think it's the 5G mm -hmm. specification, Yeah, because you know, it's still it's still essentially a work in progress. Um, and yeah, we could do a whole series on that ourselves, but I'd lo really love to focus on kind of what you and your team are doing around this space, um, and particularly in the context of enterprise mobility for obvious reasons. Um, love to get your insights and kind of what's happening in that space around just 5G and particularly enterprise mobility in your world, if we could. Uh, absolutely. Um, a lot is going on. So probably 
mid, oh, actually after MWC last uh, spring, I came back from that show and I said, I've got to reorganize. Um, you know, I've, I had a couple of talks with some other carriers about, you know, what they were doing in the space of 5G and it was becoming very real to me. Um, we were at that time making announcements or claims, uh, you know, calling our shot, if you will, that we were going to be the first carrier to launch a standards-based mobile 5G network this year. Um, and we are um, literally weeks away from that commercial launch uh, as we sit here and talk today, Des. But I knew after that show, uh, when I was looking back at my team structure, like, I'm not ready. I've got to make some changes. So within that, um, we started, you know, separating our, our um, functional skilled folks in like network enablers and, and heavy product development from go to market uh, on my team. And, you know, you work at a big company. It's not like resources are tossed at you left and right. You still have to um, scrape for every dollar. So we internally, you know, decided let's shape this team. Let's wind down some of our projects. Let's wind up a new incubation team to get set up for the future because it's it's coming. So within that, um, you know, we've been doing our forecast work, lining up proof of concepts with customers. And that's one of the thing that, you know, one of the things that here you've got a luxury for. Uh, we have a lot of relationships at AT&T with with, with, you know, just about everyone in the Fortune 1000 list. So we're a phone call away from, you know, a customer saying, let's do something. And uh, for all my carrier friends that are out there, they probably experience the same thing across the world. Uh, there isn't a customer out there that doesn't want to know about 5G, how fast is it, and when they can get it. So we're trying to take these opportunities now where um, we'll engage with a customer and put a proof of concept in, um, at their site, wherever that is, um, and go test with them. Uh, we've built um, a couple of different uh, 5G kind of sandboxes within our foundry. So we have the ability to go bring a customer in and, and test, you know, Mac or edge compute use cases uh, amongst those geographic locations to make it easier for them. Um, and we're also you know, looking for those opportunities to go out into the different verticals. Um, the Samsung one was the first big announcement at Summit with Samsung Austin Semiconductor, which is a super high-tech um, environment. And we're excited about, you know, the innovation zone that we announced there where we're going to put 5G on display, but also, you know, to help them solve real-life business problems in their factory. Uh, just following you on Twitter, of course, and uh, I noticed there's a couple of uh, exciting announcements you had there. Uh, one, you tweeted yourself back in October uh, 27th, I think it was, that you uh, had completed your first millimeter wave uh, 5G broadcasting session. Uh, and, and also today, uh, without stealing the thunder, you had uh, retweeted something that came out of AT&T around uh, a microcell, I think it was. About an hour uh, prior to uh, our our chat here, Des, I got a notification that uh, we announced uh, over our social network that Dallas, Texas has AT&T's first 5G millimeter wave cell launch. So we're out there uh, in the market with the technology on air. And uh, I feel like, you know, it's a gift to you and your audience, Des. 
Ah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, you are a gift to our audience. <laughs> now, underpinning all of this, in all seriousness, I mean, that's an exciting announcement. And congratulations, by the way, to you and the team. Um, I mean, both of the uh, amazing outcome with uh, integrating the live demos of 5G at the uh, summit. Uh, and yeah, I'd love you to pass on the, the, the wow factor that people did have with that. But, uh, but also just these two announcements so with millimeter wave uh, trials and certainly the, new, the, the announcement today, an hour or so ago with the microcell, that's just astounding. And I guess that, that kind of encapsulates just how, uh, I guess, you know, early this technology is. We're, we're getting excited about the first of, right? Underpinning all that, though, another thing I'd really love to, to get some insight from you with, I mean, yeah, as a carrier, AT&T, like all other operators and carriers, are, are going. To, you know, you, you're having a whole range of challenges thrown at you. You know, whether it's customer disruption or competitor disruption, this whole challenge of the transition through sort of you know digital transformation to become uh, software-defined everything. Um, what's kind of you know where where's the whole world of AT&T out of that space of the shift to sort of you know the DevOps and cloudification and and software-defined. Uh, everything. I mean, this is a massive shift for the likes of an AT&T where you've got some big sunk costs and towers and antennas and cable in the ground. Uh, and now this thing comes along almost like a, a Y2K for 5G. Like things, you know. um, <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah, we've uh, you know been laying the framework for our SDN network for several years, I think, you know, way back to 2014, if you can believe it. Um, as a matter of uh, survival, right? The, the data consumption and traffic growth on our network is exponential. I think the stat, you know, we toss around is 360,000% growth since 07. Wow. Um, and so it was, you know, the, the old model wasn't going to work, right? Hardware, software interlocked. You need another box to get to the next, uh, you know, petabyte. Um, and so we've been on this journey to drive you know, to, to an SDN network. And the way I like to think about it for 5G, this is the, this is the first G that has been born in software, right? The brain of this network will be software defined and it will help customers get data insights that they can't get. Um, pre-standards, so pre-5G, as you go into uh, like LTE standards, you know, the, the multi-axis edge compute is defined, right? And that works in LTE, but it's, but it's a bridge into 5G. And I think that's the first real example where you talk to customers about software-defined wireless networking is now you have the ability to look at your, your devices and the data that they're sending off and peel it off and do something with it send it to your data center, do your real-time analytics over your cameras, uh, make some uh, local compute decisions for better outcomes. And I think that's like the first real-life use case um, that, you know, enterprises are going to say, yeah, I can, you know, do something with that. Yeah. And when you talk to businesses, you got to have an outcome, right? They don't just spend capital for fun, right? Nobody, it doesn't work that way. They have to show a meaningful improvement to their operation in their own business case. Otherwise, things won't get funded. So that's the exciting part about this is we build products and services for our enterprise customers. You know, we've got to really prove into them and to their management that, you know, they can get a different outcome to their business with it. 
Yeah, it's interesting to say that. I mean, I'm not going to say uh, uh, what year because it'll embarrass me, it'll age me, but I remember rolling out some infrastructure for an, uh, an Australian carrier uh, for the, I guess, the, the, the Volti uh, deployment of, sort of the lifetime evolution hardware. And we were still putting routers and switches and servers and racks and still worrying about log servers where logging was going to go for billing. And, you know, I look at it now and this whole sort of, you know, orchestrated consumer-driven, you know, self-service, switch it on, it's enabled, and, and you know, our friends at Ericsson are, are onboarding like a million new subscribers through infrastructure that they, they support, and I know that you're probably doing similar scale. It just strikes me. I mean, 360,000% growth. I mean, that you've got to automate. You've got to go sort of orchestration because you just can't send that many humans out to plug in RJ45s, as it were, anymore, right? No, um, no. It's, yeah, and the network's becoming way smarter itself. So as an operator, there's a lot more efficiency in the network than there was in past releases. The ability to handle more traffic with some of the an- antenna technology that's out there, beam forming and the like, is uh, is truly amazing when you think about what it can do. You know, 10 years ago, you know, when the 4G was out, you think about how fast you were going. The killer app does was email. Yeah, right? that's and a now good point. We're, now we're yeah. talking 4K um over a wireless camera with you know fiber like speeds one of the pocs that we did with fox sports innovation lab intel and ericsson at the u.s open golf tournament was we took a 4k camera connected it to our millimeter wave technology and did a live broadcast uplink of the tee box and the green at the golf course Right, right up into the production truck, they stitch it together and send it out and broadcast it down to their subscribers. And you know, the, you think think about how much bandwidth that thing is consuming, right? Four K camera yeah. just on nonstop, and uh, you know, rain or shine, it was uh, that was a really cool innovation for us. And that the the various use cases uh, in verticals um, are really only limited to the imagination right now. It's a pretty cool time to be here. That brings me to my next question I had for you, which is, you know, when we think about that, I mean, that's sort of taking it right to the edge. That's about as edge as you can get, a camera sitting there streaming 4K, flat tack at an operation center to do some switching and, and then stream it to, to you know, TV and whatnot. Um, and we hear a lot about the edge, and there's a lot of kind of, you know, fuzziness around it. I mean... I would say almost every day I'm meeting with someone that's sort of you know, in the large enterprise space, executives are just constantly asking me, you know, what do we need to be planning, particularly for mobility and 5G around this whole edge? And it struck me that this is a perfect question for someone like yourself because this is kind of this is what you're doing. You're writing the Bible on this. Um, you know, I would love to get you to kind of summarize that whole topic of you know, what, what, are, what do organizations need to be thinking about? You know, what do they need to be planning for with regard to mobility in the context of 5G and the edge that's coming up? What are some of the conversations you're having with your clients currently that you can share? Well, one of the first things we did is we asked the customers. So um, at the panel I hosted in, uh, at the summit, we asked those questions. Where are you on your 5G journey, right? Not started, planning, um, you know, funding or implementation levels. And a, you'd be surprised, a decent uh, uh, cohort um, is in the, you know, strategic planning phase. Now, I would tell you that from the conversations, a lot of our customers don't know what they want yet, right? I'll usually get a call that says, hey, I want 5G. Um, 
my CIO just says, go pilot it with you guys. So off we go. Right. And it's like, okay, let's, let's have one more conversation about what do you want to do with it? What's interesting to you? Tell us about your business problems that you're trying to solve operationally. Uh, where where are you having trouble? Are you running in-building networks or Wi-Fi networks that you don't have reliability um, or you know poor handoff? Or, or what is the situation, right? Solve a problem, uh, and maybe there's a service there. So I think for, for enterprise customers, the first, uh, first thing um, I would be doing if I was in their shoes is having a plan and talking to... Uh, the carriers that are out there to figure out what is their roadmap look like and what are some of the enablers that you need to be thinking about in your investment. Uh, perfect point is one of our uh, uh, customers here is the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys outside of the sports team that you think about, you know, has a 550 person operation. They have uh, 30 some odd branch locations of retail outlets where they sell their merchandise and their brand. Um, they have a stadium uh, venue that is, you know, 100,000 or so people during game day or concerts. And uh, what they're going through now at the AT&T Stadium is a major refresh in wireless in-building technology. The stadium is gorgeous. It's 10 years old now. Um, and they know that their customers who are all you know, streaming video up into their social platforms um, you know, isn't, isn't handling the demand that's there today and what's coming. So I think um, you know, the point is you're going to be going through a tech refresh at some point in some time, right? All, all these businesses, including ours, are going through this digital transformation for survival and innovation. And uh, you got to have a plan around 5G. What is it going to look like? The early stages, I think those questions ought to be, you know, what can we do uh, within our organization to benefit from the new technology, some of these new enablers that are coming, whether that's in-building, Mac breakout, like I talked about in the industrials uh, uh, or manufacturing or other verticals, um, or you know, what are you, what are you going to do with your experiences for your own customers? And how does that change with a wireless technology, um, that can perform like a wired technology, uh, that could speed up your, you know, your deployments. So that's, that's probably the advice that I would put out there for our customers or enterprise customers that are considering, you know, what's the impact of 5g and, you know, how do I get on the train? Now, you do have some other exciting news that uh, I'd like to talk about. And in fact, we spoke about this on camera at the uh, AT&T Business Summit uh, recently in Dallas-Fort Worth. The exciting news with regard to what AT&T is doing with Samsung uh, and their semiconductor uh, plant. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, what you're doing currently with Samsung in that space? Our Samsung Austin semiconductor announcement, that to me is has a lot of promise uh, just because of the the customer we're dealing with. They are so sophisticated as that, you know, they can call into the ecosystem and get best in breed anything they want, right? Yeah. Sensors, as an example, or if it doesn't exist, they just build it, right? They are that high tech and uh, partnering with them, they're going to challenge us to, to look at new ways to innovate 
Um, and if we can drive improvements in their operation, I think we can take it everywhere. Um, and it'll give us really good examples of doing that. Their uh, facility, fabrication facility of silicon in Austin, Texas, um, has something like five defects per one million. It never stops. Uh, the employees that work there uh you know, don't touch anything on the assembly line. It's a zero-touch facility. The workers there um, are there to maintain the tools, right? So it's a super cool environment for us to innovate, and uh, I'm excited about the opportunities of what we're going to be able to do, not only in the innovation zone up front, that's going to be a showcase to the world, but also in support of their their business operation in the factory. Underpinning some of these deployments. I mean, the, the concept of enterprise mobility, and again, it's another big topic, and we could do a whole show on that alone. If we look at enterprise mobility briefly, I mean, you oversee essentially all the aspects of product management supporting AT&T's mobility business and the customers across uh, you know, all of this, this whole gamut. Um, so this must be a conversation you're having on a regular basis. The, the topic of enterprise mobility, I mean, how do you come at explaining this from the 101 point of view through to kind of what, you know, what AT&T is bringing to the market in this space? Um, that's another really good question. Sometimes it's the hardest to simplify things, right? So for me, I do try to boil it down into a couple of components. Um, you know, our strategy is around, for in particular, 5G is around mobility, fixed, and private. Right. Okay, th- those three things. And um, we all know what mobility is, right? So we are following the build-out of 5G, we're launching the first uh, mobile device at the end of this year. It'll be a Netgear Nighthawk 5G millimeter wave MiFi device. And then from there, the devices will come. The ecosystem will trail the network. So we're pushing and pushing. That'll look like smartphones and tablets, you know, in next year. So that, you know, mobile-centric is really focused in the kind of smaller business uh, space that we serve Uh, kind of mid-market space. When you go to fixed for us, uh, the technology, um, you know, right now on LTE with uh, license-assisted access where you're blending, you know, public spectrum versus private spectrum can deliver one gig plus downlink speeds. Um, We... uh, and so for us, looking at the technology in 5G, 5G evolution with LAA, you can deliver a fixed wireless experience uh, to a customer um, that may not have very good options. Right? At AT&T, we have a lot of fiber serving our businesses. That is our number one priority and strategy. But where we don't have fiber, we can't get to it fast enough. It's not economical to do the risers, to work around the infrastructure that may be there. We're out on the edge, right, the, the, the rural edge, um, where we're, we're never going to build economically. We have alternatives now, right? We're covering a large swath of customers with uh, technology that is you know, superior to what they may be getting today from a wired um a wired link or wired connection. And then private is really this, this area around uh, mobile edge compute. The customers are asking, these are the big guys, Des. Um, yeah. You know, think Fortune 1000 types. And the more industrial they look or they are, uh, the more savvy they are right now, right? They are studying up on CBRS spectrum, private networks. And I think your point was valid before. It's, you know, 
do you want to run a network, uh, a wireless network and the headache of that? Or do you want to get the data that you need off the sensors that you have to get to uh, business process improvement on your own transformation plan? And it usually lands with the latter, right? Um, but they're exploring everything. When you talk to big customers like we talk to, um, they're exploring everything. They have the intellectual uh, capital. They have the dollars, the real capital. Um, you know, and it's a it's an interesting uh, conversation to have with them. But at the end of the day, they look at it and say, "All right, w- what is it that I'm trying to prove in here? Um, how private, you know, do I want to keep my data? How fast do I need to make these decisions?" Um, in the private space. And, you know, you mentioned something, um, you know, the life and death, you know, matter of it. Um, There is technology out there positioned over LTE that gives these customers of ours the ability to locate things and sensors, right, at a very finite um, kind of uh, geographic proximity. Um, that kind of data, you don't want traversing over the network with long hops back to the cloud and back to the network. You really want that kind of stuff sitting local where that um, decision-making can happen very quickly. And you want to keep a lot of that information private for obvious reasons. So mm. I think that's you know that's how I really try to simplify things for us. Mobile, fixed, and private is you know how we're looking at our strategy. I'm really keen to kind of get some insight on where you see the business issues uh, with regard to what your customers are facing now. Um, And then I'd love to get you to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing for me. But um, where do you see the the biggest issues lying currently around the customer base that you're working with? And and, and not just 5G, not just mobility, but in in general. Uh, The first one, I think, is availability uh, and coverage, right? So millimeter wave by design. Uh, doesn't uh, travel very far, doesn't propagate as well as mid-band, low-band spectrum. And so you get high bandwidth, which is great, but you do have to be near uh, the small cell. And I I think that's one of the challenges that our customers have is they're seeing all this kind of excitement around 5G, in particular millimeter wave, and they want it, right? They want to get their hands on it. But uh, a lot of our customers are fiber-fed, and they have all the bandwidth that they you know, whatever need. And so talking to them about, okay, millimeter wave 5G is a technology alternative, um, but here's the here's the path of availability. You know, your, your particular, you know, buildings may not be covered yet. And so, you know, it's really day one of the next 5G. So there's a lot of infrastructure to build and kind of working through that with customers on where do they see it fit? Where do they see it augmenting their wired network? Um, and that is one of the, you know, one of the beauties that we have at AT&T uh, that, you know, we're thankful for is we have a lot of assets to bear. So yeah. depending on what the customer's uh, access needs are, we really look at it as, you know, we've got a portfolio to, to bring forward. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge right now is, you know, when can I get it? Um, you know, when is it available? You know, and how wide is it going to cover? You know, when you think about a, a retail out, outlet, a coffee store, uh, McDonald's, or whoever it is that has thousands of locations, um, when they when they talk coverage, you know that becomes a challenge. 
Yeah, I imagine there's that there's that juggle between um, sort of legacy industry environments and, as you said, those cabled customers where they're they're up and running, they've got fat pipes, they're, they're happy campers, uh, and they're safe and secure and whatnot. But then also having to have a foot in the other side of the camp, and that is the new emerging spaces, and just finding that blend between both, and particularly the scale that you're working with. Um, before we wrap up, one of my favorite things to do is to uh, ask my guests to gaze into a virtual crystal ball. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but I'd love to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it and uh, just get a sense of kind of, you know, where you personally, not even so much just the, the AT&T brand, but you personally, I mean, what, what's coming over the horizon in the next set of one to two, three years or 12 to 18 months? Uh, where are we going? What sort of things can we expect to come over the horizon, do you think? Is it a crystal ball or a magic eight ball? Because I have one of those in my office that I shake uh, a lot during business planning times. Does <laughs> whichever one gives you the best insight? <laughs> yeah, am I going to make my revenue plan? Shake, shake, shake. Um, of course, of course, we are. I won't tell um, anyone you said that. <laughs> right. So I think um, you know when you look out the next couple of years, um, you know I, I, I'm really anxious to see the augmented reality space, virtual reality space take form, right? And, uh, you know, we we uh, are partnered with Magic Leap, and um, they have some really cool tech. And I think they're far along in their product evolution that they're going to be, you know, selling things shortly. And it'll be interesting to see, will customers, humans, right? You and I be willing to put on a head mount display and uh, a compute, you know, basically a, a PC in your pocket and walk around this earth together for this different experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had the chance to meet Jim Gennard, uh, the founder of Oakley Wow. at the summit and interview him. Very interesting uh, savant product designer, um, started red, uh, cinnamon, uh, cinema cameras, as well as just launched the red media machine, hydrogen one smartphone. Um, and, you know, talking to him about product design and innovation, you know, that was one of the questions that, uh, that he had was, well, will customers, if you remember Oakley, Oakley had a device that, uh, that had, some tethering to it uh, for sunglasses. And, you know, his experience there was, you know, customers didn't want another thing to charge up, um, you know, with everything else that's on the table today, when you go home, you know, after dinner, you're charging up your, your iPad, you're charging up, you know, a number of smartphones, maybe a watch now, is there yet another thing we want to go charge up? So will customers um, adopt this new way uh, of exp or new experiences with, um, you know, augmented or mixed reality, I think is going to be interesting to watch. Now, my crystal ball is a little hazy on this. Um, there's certainly a lot of interest and investment in it. Um, there's also a lot of interesting use cases, you know, pain distraction in the medical space is a great one. Um, the training one I just mentioned with the, uh, manufacturing or construction company is another one. So they're out there. The question really is, you know, is the adoption going to be there? And if it is, boy, just think about what the world looks like in a few years, right? Are we, are we coming? Are we coming to the office or are we just putting our goggles on? I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've wrapped up in the perfect pun of what the world would look like with augmented reality. I, I, we've definitely seen some success in this space around the, the resurgence of Pokemon. I um, I, I, think I, <laughs> I, I lost five kilos in about six weeks tracking my son around the Good city, uh, finding spaces <laughs> where we could chase new Pokemons. Uh, and, and as you said, certainly it's, it's in the training spaces and whatnot. Um, but I, I do like your insight that, uh, and I guess if, if anyone's used to putting things on people's faces that they wear, Oakley's got that experience. And I'll, I'll confess that I lust after their uh, red uh, branded cameras and certainly the hydrogen. So I guess that's a perfect blend in a business uh, customer and partner that you can look to for that. Um, but no, I, I, I like that insight. I think you're on the, I think you're definitely on a, on the pulse there with the challenge of augmented reality where it goes. Uh, and um, who knows, you know, I get, let's have this conversation in 18 months and see where we're at. Um, but look, Robert, thank you so much for making time to chat with me, folks. You've heard an amazing amount of uh, great insights there from Robert Boynovsky, the uh, Vice President of Enterprise Mobility and Product Management inside AT&T. Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again, and it was great to meet you in person the other day at the summit, and uh, really appreciate your time jumping on the show. Thank you, Des. Uh, it was good to get in touch with you again and uh, carry on our conversation. I hope you're doing well. I look forward to the next uh, time together. Absolutely. We'll definitely have you back on the show. Well, thank you so much for your time. And folks, we'll wrap up with that. Uh, if you haven't already done so, definitely jump on your favorite search engine and search for the AT&T 2018 Business Summit. There's some fantastic insights still online there from videos and other material and assets you can download. And certainly uh, make sure you're following uh, Robert Boyanovsky on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and uh, I think you've got two Twitter accounts, one that you are... Uh, a big fan for a particular sports uh, fan and <laughs> one for work. So, yeah, uh, at the, you know, at the summit this year, I'm like, oh boy, I'm following, uh, you know, my sports fans and, uh, you know, and musicians and things, but I probably need a, a new persona. So my business persona is the real Mr. Boyo. So come check me out. There you go. Thanks, Robert. Really appreciate it. Folks, we'll wrap up with that. Um, we look forward to seeing you in the next show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Des Blanchard, your host, and I appreciate your time. <laughs>